0: Hello, this is Michael Stone, the host of We Earth Radio, where we have conversations that make a difference. We're committed to bringing you leading edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. In our programs, we look for positive solutions to local and global issues that leave you touched, moved, and inspired to action. Our weekly guests include local and global experts and concerned citizens working together to heal the wounds that separate, alienate, and marginalize people. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to We Earth Radio. This is your host, Michael Stone, and I have a very important show today. And I really want you to uh, invite you, when you're listening to this show, to not go to the mind, but feel the show, allow it to wash over you. We're going to be talking about climate change from a whole system's perspective, and in a way that we can really allow ourselves to feel the deep feelings that individually and culturally we've not been able to feel. This has been an issue that We've been aware of really since Rachel Carson, but from certainly from the 70s and 80s on, that we haven't addressed. And it's time that we really have to address it with our heart, with our minds, and with our bodies. And so I really want to introduce you to my friend Dwayne Elgin. He's an internationally recognized author, speaker, and media activist. He is the co-director of the Choosing Earth Project. His books include Choosing Earth, The Living Universe, Promise Ahead, Voluntary Simplicity, and Awakening Earth. Duane received the Peace Prize of Japan, the Goya Award, in Tokyo in 2006 in recognition of his contribution to a global vision, consciousness, and lifestyle that fosters a more sustainable and spiritual culture. His personal website is com. And the project website is choosingearth.org. Wayne, good to be with you again. Michael, so good to be with you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> We've been on a long road together. It's a long road. Uh, and here we are in uh, 2022. You know, an issue that's dear to our heart it's been sidetracked a lot. I'd like to start with the subtitle of your new book, Choosing Earth and the subtitle, Humanity's Journey of Initiation Through Breakdown and Collapse to Mature Planetary Community. You know, that's a thing we've talked about numerous times on We Earth Radio, and more people are becoming aware of the idea of we are in a rite of passage, in an initiation. And let's start there and talk about what does that mean, being in a initiation or
1: rite of passage. Great. This gets to the very heart of the book and the work and the lives of our, of our species. The initiation that we're going through is one of maturation. It's one of growing up. I've gone around the world over the last 30 some years and I've asked people all around the world. I've, before giving a talk, I would say to them, let's pause for a moment. I want to ask you a question. When you put the human family together, all together as one individual, what is that individual like? Is the, are we behaving like toddlers? Are we behaving like adolescents, adults, or elders? And I would give people those four options. Toddlers, teenagers, uh, adults, or elders. And um, it didn't matter uh, where I was or around the planet. It didn't matter what kind of audience. It might be more political. It might be more economic or more spiritual. Young or old, again and again, much to my surprise, I didn't know what would come back, people have overwhelmingly had one response. And that is that the human family is in its adolescence. We're behaving like adolescents. There's so much insight that goes with that. That the adolescent is rebelling against, uh, (laughs) nature rather than working with nature. The adolescent is uh, saying, well, who's in, who's out, who's part of my clique and who's not. And there's a lot of uh, division and diminishment of others that goes with that. And what we need now is an inclusive, embracing, welcoming approach to working on our collective future. So the initiation is to go from our adolescence and into our early adulthood, and with our early adulthood, remarkable things begin to happen that we've seen throughout our lives. With uh, with individuals, we begin to put the well-being of others ahead of ourselves. We begin to pull back from a rebelling against people and and nature to cooperating and finding ways to be colleague in this transformational process. So the the core of what this book is about, is actually very simple. It's growing up. Let's grow up as a species. Now, that sounds simple, but if we look at our lives as individuals, and if I would ask you, Michael, what happened to you to go from your adolescence to adulthood, chances are you went through some real trauma. You went through challenges to get there. Every person I've asked has said, yes, you know, this was a really challenging time for me. And I'll ask, well, what was the difficulty that you faced? And someone will say something like, well, it was a brush with death. That's shocking. me. What? Yes, I saw my m- mortality. It was a brush with death. And I realized I need to step up to life in new ways. And so we go further into the maturation process. But I think most people recognize in their own personal lives, they've gone through an incredible journey to get from their adolescence and into adulthood. And likewise, we're going to have to go through some really challenging times as a species to get into our behaviors and attitudes and values as uh, adults on this on this endangered planet. Dwayne, I'm really glad you bring up trauma right at the beginning here, because
0: I think it's such an important piece to look at we don't know what the future is going to be and uh, certainly we're not going to get back to what we would call normal getting back to normal given the state of the planet and what we're going to talk about today why i said at the beginning listen to your body instead of your head because a big shift for me in this program and even changing the name again from conversations to we earth radio a while back came when I got to a point of looking at the numbers, looking at the reports, going to the conferences, and I just got to this this point about five or six years ago, where I just went, we're screwed. I don't see anything but collapse when I really look. And it was about that time I met Thomas Hubel and heard him say, we're swimming in a sea of trauma. And I went, oh my God, that is the linchpin. That's, that's the part... And people look at trauma as big T trauma, but not at the trauma that keeps us in the adolescent and younger stage. I mean, when I was in the corporate world, you know, I'd, I'd see CEOs at 50 or 60 year olds immediately revert to their five year old adaptive child when they got triggered. And that's true for all of us. Yeah. There are frozen parts of our past from early childhood. Even before the adolescence, even though we're in an adolescence stage, even before that, that until we see and feel and hear those parts of us that are frozen, we'll be looking through a a glass darkly, so to speak, and so I think it's really important to again allow this to wash over us and to look. And it's important to look out to the future and say, well, what is actually available since we missed a lot of opportunities over the last half a century? What's at? What are the choices that we have? And I think I'd like to get into that area of what are the three choices and begin to look and see, oh, my God, you know, here we are. And what can we do to go with the most positive of the choices?
1: Great. Well, let's go back and start with trauma. I think trauma is so valuable, and we tend to want to uh, push it away and say, well, uh, let's, let's have a happier outlook on life. Let's not dwell in the gloom and doom of trauma and this and that. And in that process, we push away the reality of what our situation is, and then we can't really deal with it. Uh, now, another way of looking at trauma is to say, well, trauma can be the teacher. Trauma wakes us up suffering is, is the catalyst to say, whoa, I'm suffering. I don't want to suffer. Well, what do I need to do? What are my choices to move beyond a world of trauma and suffering? So uh, it's really important that we see this uh, the pain of our times, the, the difficulty of our times, as a teacher, as an ally. As as a an aid to our awakening and our maturation into our early adulthood. So the, and that's where we can really say, okay, I, I embrace the trauma of our times, and I, I acknowledge the suffering that I'm I'm feeling. But I'm not. I'm more than that. I'm bigger than that. But that's a part of who I am, and I'll live with that. And then we're going to move beyond that into a world that transforms the suffering into a, a world of growing potential, growing promise to move in, grow into my early adulthood. First stage,
0: what you brought up. I just want to say, I, I love that you say the trauma of our times because it's not just personal trauma that we're dealing with. People can feel the fear and the anxiety. And so it's, it's not just personal. It's the collective trauma. It's the familial trauma. It's the ancestral trauma that is all rising up to be healed and we heal it by integrating and feeling it. So That's it's right. so important. And as we talk about this, you know, to hold that in mind
1: that we're swimming in this sea. Right. So uh, we can't push it away. It's it's all around us, it's underneath us, it's beyond us. We are being challenged to wake up, to grow up, to actually uh be with the trauma of our times in a way that, that reflects Our capacity for a higher maturity, if you will. This is tough love. This is, this is not easy, but this is, uh, life and it's life and it's richness and it's fierceness. What amazing times that we're living in. This is a time of planetary, uh, trauma and transition. The world has never been in a situation like this ever before. And so for the last 10,000 years, we've been really, uh, in a, from, living in a mindset of separation and distance from one another and the rest of the world in many respects. But now we have to overcome separation, come to our wholeness, come to our feeling of communion uh, with the earth. Not only the earth as a material system, but increasingly science is looking at the earth as a living system. So our life needs to connect with the larger aliveness of a living earth. Uh, and then, beyond the living earth to that of a living universe, and as we engage the larger liveness that's in the earth and and the world beyond, we're growing up uh that's that's a new level of appreciation and engagement with ourselves and with life and so this is a remarkable time of uh transformation
0: and and the potential. Is actually for an evolutionary jump in what it means to be a, a human being. That's a right. Human family. Yeah. That's, that isn't disconnected and separate, but that life actually is living through us. That's right. To recognize that that is the impulse is to allow life to live through us.
1: Well said. Well said. Indeed.
0: But so we're looking at the three choices now. So again, allow this to wash over as you go through this, because there's a lot of very important information that we're we're speaking to
1: So the three choices, I want to be clear with you, Michael, are the three scenarios, is that right, that you were thinking of?
0: Yes, three scenarios.
1: Yeah. Right. Three scenarios. Uh, So let's, and the scenarios uh, look deep into the future. Often uh, in business, a scenario will be the next, oh, five, maybe 10 years at the outside. The work that I've done here with the Choosing Earth book is the next 50 years. And uh, this is a deeply scholarly uh, inquiry. It isn't just off the top of my head suggesting how it's going to unfold. Instead, decades in fact, I've been doing futures research for a half century. And it's that half century of serious scholarship that has gone into this book. Uh, and it's a short book, actually. Take out the footnotes, it's a short book. But it's a scholarly book. It's a serious look at our future. And so, looking ahead, the first future that people want is a technological fix, they said well look i of course we've got uh problems with climate change and and uh, and other challenges we'll discuss but they say well surely there's technology to to resolve this situation with uh, let's say co2 in the atmosphere and methane um exploding or, <laughs> as with with permafrost melting and so on and the reality is, if we really look at what's happening uh, on the planet, it can't be uh, fixed technologically. That's not to say we should ignore technology. We need the technology. But it's going to take way more than uh, technology to solve what's what's happening in the world right now. And I think of uh, an adolescent that says, well, look, dad, mom and dad, I need a car. That's my techo- technological fix. If I get a car... I'm going to grow up. I'm going to be, I won't be the the teenager I was. I'm going to be behaving like an adult. No, I don't think just sticking a kid in the car. I'm thinking of myself. I didn't grow up stepping into that car. I grew up maybe having an accident or coming into uh, difficult situations with that car. The engine breaks down and I have to pay for it and so on. So the tech fix is important but it is way short of uh, responding to the reality of the kind of challenges that we face. And so let me, uh, before talking about the three scenarios, uh, the three pathways ahead that I see is most likely are most uh, choiceful for us, uh, let me just mention the challenges uh, that we're facing briefly. I don't want to belabor this, but it's important to get a feeling for them. So, uh, climate change. Uh, we're seeing the leading edge of climate change right now. And people say, well, look, this is uncomfortable, but it's not catastrophic. And what I say is, you just wait. Uh, you wait uh, 10 years from now and watch to see what happens to uh, climate configurations and so on. I grew up on a farm, and I've seen the vulnerability of crops to uh, fluctuations and the vigories of temperature and and all the rest. So we, for example, for every degree centigrade that the temperature goes up, agricultural productivity falls by 15%. There are many estimates that by the end of the century, we will see 3 degrees centigrade of increase in temperature, and that translates into a 45% decline in agricultural productivity. Now, that's not a problem unless we've got a lot of mouths to feed. And when we look at at population growth, that reveals another problem. When I was born, there were roughly 2 billion people on the planet. I think the same is roughly true for you, Michael. Now, we are approaching 8 billion people, and we're expected to move towards 10 billion people. And all the estimates I've seen are that, uh, the earth as a regenerative system, the oceans, the land, its ability to grow crops, uh, and, and all the rest can feed roughly two billion people. And two billion people living in middle class European lifestyles. Two billion. Well, here we are at, at six, or here we are at eight going towards ten that means that we're already roughly 6 billion people over the carrying capacity of the earth and its regenerative uh, systems so in this century in all likelihood we are going to see the die off of uh billions of people famine uh disease and uh, and other challenges conflict to be sure but famine and disease are the biggest uh, factors that I see. And we're going to kill off billions of people if we don't change how we're working on uh, the earth and living with the earth. So that would be another one. Climate change, uh, species extinction. This We're in the midst of the sixth greatest extinction of, of species, plants as well as animals, that the earth has ever seen. And by the end of this century, scientists estimate a million species will go extinct. Not just individuals, but entire blocks of species. A million of them, plants and animals, will go extinct, uh, given the way we're behaving with the earth. Now, um, I could go, there are more, uh, challenges, uh, that we're facing. And we could, we could discuss those. But the, as you say, let this wash over uh Don't just think about uh the numbers that i'm I'm mentioning experience the reality of of an impoverished earth where uh upwards of half of the plant and animal species have been wiped out uh Do we want to live in that kind of impoverishment let the the experience of billions of humans die uh wash over us what What are we doing to um to change that dynamic. So this is these are serious times asking us to grow up as a human family. R- wake up as well and see what is happening. Take that in. Let it wash over us. And uh, let the trauma that we experience be our teacher. Let the suffering that's out there in the world right now uh, be the catalyst for a new awakening and a new understanding. So those are some of the forces that are pushing us. And we're being pushed into three different pathways I, I see for the future. And, uh, there are not, none of these are easy pathways. Uh, one pathway is, uh, collapse. We're in a, in a time of unraveling right now. Uh, systems of all kinds are unraveling the political systems, the economic systems, the supply chains are breaking down. People see this in their everyday lives. So the world is unraveling right now. And if it continues to unravel, uh, throughout the decade, as I think it will, at some point, there's just not enough hold there to keep it, uh, together and we fall. And when we finally unravel and we fall, it will be a great fall. The entire planet is, is implicated and involved in this. And I think, uh, after the fall comes, really, that's when we hit bottom. And that's when we, uh, Feel the pain of the, of the past, uh, centuries of growth. And we see, no, this was not a viable, uh, pathway ahead. Right now, we're consuming 1.7 Earths each year, which means that, uh, we're, we're consuming over half of an Earth's regenerative capacity by drawing down on resources that are non-renewable. I was just gonna say, and that number
0: is a global number. But if you took an earth number, it would be more like five or six, I believe. Yes. So in, in Mm -hmm. U.S.
1: Yes. So we are, we are, we're over consuming the earth. Uh, we're an overshoot right now. We're living beyond our means profoundly, uh, right now. So the possibility of collapse is not remote. It's, it's near. Uh, by the end of this, this decade, by the time we get into the twenty thirties, I think it's very likely that we'll be in uh we'll be moving from unraveling into uh just really a great fall and and the beginnings of a global collapse. So I think that is one pathway ahead. And there's no assurance that we're going to be able to recreate a viable world ecologically, politically, socially, economically, all the rest. Uh, in the, in the context of collapse. So now we have the choice. We haven't fallen yet. Let's make our choices now. Let's learn from the trauma of, of these times and move ahead consciously, deliberately with maturity. So anyway, one pathway ahead is a pathway of breakdown and collapse and, uh, the potential for functional extinction, not complete extinction. I don't think we're going to wipe out humanity. We're sort of like weeds having grown up on a farm. You just can't get rid of them. Can't get rid of us. And so I'm not advocating full extinction, but I see the potential for functional extinction where we are no longer a powerful force in the evolution of life on this planet. Uh, We've just diminished ourselves so much by our actions that we can no longer rise up and and to be that evolutionary force. So that's one pathway, uh, the pathway leading to functional extinction uh, from collapse. A second pathway that I see is very likely is authoritarianism. And we're watching this grow rapidly around the Earth. Uh, We're seeing it certainly here in the United States, China is an extremely uh, authoritarian society. Russia is as well. India is moving in that direction. Other countries in Asia, for example, are beginning to feel the authoritarian impulse. So the potential for authoritarianism is very great, and uh to my surprise many people in the united states that i've spoken with have said well maybe you know maybe it's just going to take an authoritarian ruler to cut through the complexity and the uh confusion of our times and to come up with a pathway that will keep us from from going extinct well maybe but uh, i just hate to see the loss of human freedoms because those freedoms are the foundation for our maturation for our growing up so basically and creativity that, and innovation too that's right that's right creativity and innovation as well and so a uh, pathway of authoritarianism may keep us going into the future but as you suggest our, our sense of freedom our creativity uh, and and so on that really is at the heart of humanity is going to be profoundly diminished so, um, that's the second pathway, authoritarianism. The third pathway is one that, um, I'm calling transformation. I don't know what to call it, but it's, it's where we step outside of the historical past and we look at a new vision of a promising future. And that's where we say, God, you know, if we're over consuming the earth right now, uh, and we're an overshoot and we have to pull back what does that mean? What does that look like? Uh, well, it means that we're going to have to reconfigure our everyday lives just across the board. And that means that the food that we eat is going to be changing, the, the car that we drive, the house in which we live, the work that we do, all of this, all of these key relationships that dominate our lives now are going to have to be reconfigured if we are going to live sustainably on this earth. And that in turn requires a, a, a reconfiguration of politics, and it's a politics of compassion, a politics of, of awakeness, that recognizes the suffering of our times is really a catalyst for transformation, for change, for moving ahead into a more uh, promising future. And um, I, looking at people, I Despair because I'm not seeing folks step up to the magnitude of change that we are being asked to, uh, implement, uh, on the earth. And, um, I'm hopeful that within this decade, though, we will wake up, we'll grow up, and, uh, we'll see what's being asked of us by the earth, um, if we're going to have a viable, uh, and healthy life for ourselves. So those are the three pathways, uh, extinction, Authoritarianism or transformation and, uh, the pathway of a, of a quick fix with technology, I think is not a viable
0: option. Right. You know, Duane, it occurs to me that there is one particular issue here, uh, in terms of the third possibility. I've had, uh, you know, Karen O'Brien, I think you know her work. I'm, if you I'm don't not... I want to hear Karen O'Brien okay she's no I am not. I don't um she's uh University of Oslo. she's written several books uh she's she worked with paul Hawken uh, on okay. on the um hundred hundred ways I can't remember the name of it, but Karen really drove home to me something that I was already working with and knew about, but she said, "Look, you know, you look at technology, you say well." Technology is an issue, like you said, but it's really not the issue. You, you look the politics you're, and and you know our current governing forces around the planet. But when it comes down to one thing, climate change and all the other issues are relationship issues, and that the issue there is the thing that you said earlier: how do we transcend the myth of separation? And connect with each other and learn to not get rid of the crisis, but again, use the crises and the differences to come together. You know, William Urey, the amazing mediator, global mediator, you know, talks about how can I, how can I take a third side in all my, how can I see from the balcony and see how we're relating? And at it, and that get, brings it home down to the, Very simple. How am I relating in all my conversations with my family, with my partner? So, you know, I want to bring this to meaningful actions that we can do to empower ourselves to more deeply connect. In your book, you listed, I think, about 13 meaningful actions. But as a basis of that is recognizing the deep interdependency of us with other humans and with the Earth systems.
1: Great. I so resonate with what you're saying, uh, Michael, that um, in in my view, uh, the most fundamental crisis that we're facing is a communications crisis. And whether it's a family uh, or just talking to a friend, uh, the most powerful thing we can do in a democracy is talk. If we have the capacity to communicate, we have the capacity to transform the world. Um, and that's part of the problem of the authoritarian world. It diminishes that. and The, uh, the uh, pathway of breakdown and collapse. There's no way to reconfigure life uh, as we can do it right now. So I talk to people and I say, look, the uh, climate crisis is really a communications crisis. We're not talking about this. And they say, well, what do you mean? Uh, it's on a lot of people's minds. And I say, well, look, let's take a look at, at broadcast television. People still get most of their news from broadcast television, it turns out. And uh, in the United States, if we look at the four major broadcast networks, ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox, and we take the news programs of those four major networks, and look at how much time they've devoted to climate change over the space of an entire year, and we add it all up uh those four networks add up to about three hours of time of television time looking at climate change for a whole yeah. year for a whole year now uh I don't care how good those three hours are uh spread across all of all of those uh many hours and days over the course of a year. It doesn't... It's not enough to run a modern democracy facing the kinds of challenges uh, that we do. Uh So that's an, an illustration that we aren't communicating up to the level at which we could. The technology is there to support it, but we're not using the technology to realize it. So then I say, well, look... Um, There's more that's, that's a communications crisis. The uh, species extinction, plants and animals, that's a communications crisis. Because if we communicated back to our, our leaders and said, look, we value having plants and animals, uh, on this, on this earth, let's focus on that as a priority, uh, where we want to invest resources. Great. Uh, and we can go down the list of the various challenges uh, that we're facing. And each one in its own way is a communications challenge. And so before we even move into the technological fixes, I suggest go deep into the communication about these challenges and really understand them so we can step up, step forward, and engage them at a level and in a way that really uh, is appropriate. It really fits. So uh communication, I think, is central uh to our future. And the whole idea of choosing Earth is how do you choose it? Well, you communicate about it. You say, well, look, uh, we're just drifting along here, letting the Earth slide into either extinction or authoritarianism. Let's choose a different pathway. Let's step up in our communication. Let's move into our early adulthood. And, and as citizens, mature citizens, of an endangered earth let's talk about this it, can we build a new consensus for a a viable future well yeah we can if we wanted to uh so we're 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 at the edge we're on the verge of moving into an entirely new level of conversation as a species for our collective future
0: you know one of the things you said in the book that i really resonate with me that eco collapse is bringing about ego collapse, Ego collapse. that's not a bad thing, <laughs> that's a very good thing, and it takes us into, allows us the ability, I think when we recognize our interdependence, we also begin to shift our thinking from either or to a systems perspective, where we look at a whole systems view, and I love the model in your book of the long, deep, and wide systems view. Maybe you could speak a little bit about that. Sure. That was very, very brilliant the way you put that. Oh, good.
1: Well, uh, people have asked, how is the, the picture of the world that you're developing different from anyone else's? I mean, just, what's unique? What's distinct, distinct about this, uh, the work there in the Choosing Earth book? And I say, well, what most studies, and most politicians and most policy makers are, are, have a mindset that's fairly uh, shallow. They're not looking at deep uh, value changes. It's fairly narrow. They're not looking broadly. They're saying, well, the problem is climate. That's it. Uh, and if, if it's climate, well, then it's CO2 and we can handle CO2. They don't look wide to see, well, it's actually species extinction as well. Resource depletion, like water, overpopulation, inequities, and on and on. And if we start looking why, we see we've got a systems, as you say, Michael, a systems level problem. That systems level problem has depth to it. And to to solve that, we're going to, and to move into our early adulthood, we're going to have to reach deep into our consciousness, into our psyche, into our soul and find that capacity as a species, then we're going to have to look long, not just the next three to five years, as most politicians, let's say, do. Um, We're going to have to look ahead, as we've done in this study, 50 years. And in that looking ahead, uh, it reveals trends that seem to be slight now. They've grown intensity and significance later on, and cause tremendous problems unless they're dealt with currently. So we're we're advocating a view that looks wide, deep and long instead of narrow, shallow and short. And it's a narrow, shallow and short view that's dominating our politics and our everyday life right now. Uh people go outside and they say, Well look, it doesn't look so bad right now. Um we got plenty of birds around still, don't we? Um and and so on. I ask people, for example, this quick aside. It's called the uh, the splatter test. And you go out and look at the, at the front end of your car and tell me how many bugs have gotten splattered in, in your recent driving around. And people say, well, you know, you're right. It's pretty clean. My windshield is clean. The front end of my car, there are not many bugs being killed. And I say, insects are, are the foundation of our lives. If we see in, insects go... The plant kingdom is going to go, and we're going down as a species. So you can find out how we're doing very quickly. Just walk out, look at the front end of your car, and how many bugs are splattered there, and you'll see, you know, we are really at a time of great uh, decline in the insect population on the planet. Um, So there are different things like that that um, come into play uh, for for giving us insight into how to transform uh, our pathway into the future and looking wide, deep, and long, I think is is simple. People understand that it's very direct, and they say, "Oh, okay, well, let's do that." What we see then is uh, transformative. You no,
0: know, another issue that just comes to mind as you're speaking, along with separation, but it, it is the idea of individualism. You know, we are so uh, for for so long, we've been particularly in the States, but, uh, you know, around the world, the rugged individual or the romantic individual, which which creates separation. But it also the issue of competition in that, because when you have rugged individual, you're always in a competing stage, you know, trying to overdo, get better, get more, do different. You know, all of those kinds of things. And, and one of the things that you talk about that really I love is the, the approach to the adaptation scenarios of are we going to have a, a competitive or are we going to have a compassionate? And people say, well, you won't have innovation. I don't believe that's true that you won't have innovation if you don't have competition. I don't believe that. No. Yep. Your thoughts there.
1: No. Yep. Okay. Uh, this, opens up <clears throat> into a wonderful conversation. And it gets to to the notion of paradigm change, the deep, deep changes in how we see the nature of reality, existence, the the, the universe in which we live. And in a nutshell, science is now beginning to describe the universe as a unified system. And this comes from quantum physics, and quantum physics says, well, it's a unified whole. The entire universe is a single living entity, and you and your life are a part of that larger aliveness. Uh, so, at, at that very point, uh, from quantum physics, for, of all places, we're taken beyond the the uh, separation of the, uh, let's say, the competitive ego, uh, and into the mystery, the wonder. The extraordinary nature that we, our very existence physically and such, connects with the aliveness of the entire universe. Not only does it connect with with the living earth, it connects with the living universe. So science is telling us, the world's wisdom traditions have been saying this for tens of thousands of years. The universe is a living system. There's life everywhere uh but we're now rediscovering that ancient wisdom uh and bringing it uh into the fore and um that wisdom says you are a part of a larger aliveness and instead of being just a biological being that's separate you're both biological and a part of the cosmos you're biocosmic in your very nature and if you're biocosmic in your very nature well then Let's take a look at, at the uh, earlier paradigm that says, well, you we live in a dead universe, and really what you've got is a bunch of dead matter and empty space. Well, then consumerism makes sense. Individualism makes sense. Competition makes sense, because you better get your share right now, because in a dead universe, it doesn't matter. Uh, all that matters is how much stuff have you got? How big is your car? How big is the bank account? And so on and so on if it's a living universe, the living universe that science and quantum physics now is describing, then instead of of exploiting uh, that which is out there on behalf of myself, we want to take care of it. If if it's alive, the the impulse is care, compassion. Let's take care of that which is alive as opposed to exploit uh, that which is dead. So, Foundational to the conversation we're having right now is the emergence uh, or let's say the reemergence of the mindset that we are living in a living universe, and who we are is transformed beyond this physical body into a larger being and and in the process it awakens compassion uh care for that which is alive so uh we're in this in this extraordinary time, a great transition as a species to a new way of looking at reality, our human identity, and the evolutionary journey. Yeah, so well said.
0: I, I think most people would, some people would go for the authoritarian. Nobody wants the complete collapse. But the third one is going to take giving ourselves to it, that we really need to see that what I do does make a difference. And uh, you talk about the seven uplifting forces that can lead to an evolutionary transition, uh, transformation and transition. And I'd love for you to talk about some of those so that people can recognize, mm-hmm. oh, wait, there is something I can do here in the way I live my life.
1: Absolutely. Uh and The first and perhaps most important is uh, one I just mentioned, that we were learning to live in a living universe. That changes the entire <clears throat> equation of life itself. So I, I don't need to belabor that. We've already discussed it. Uh, but an uplifting force is to say you're a part of a larger aliveness. Whoa, what an amazing... Uh a story, uh, that, that we're a part of, if it's no longer dead matter and empty space, but a living system that we're growing within, that draws out our compassion and creativity. Okay, that's, so that's one. Some of the others, uh, are, uh, I wrote this book called Voluntary Simplicity. Uh, something that we can all do. We all have within some degree of our, our personal choice. We can simplify our lives. We can, and this, Goes from the food that we eat, the clothes that we wear, the home in which we live, the car that we drive, the work that we do, uh, and on and on and on. Uh, we have choice. We have choice. Uh, are we going to, um, strive, uh, for elegance, uh, in a, in a big home and, and, and a beautiful car and, and steaks on the dinner table, and so on. Or are we going to be aware and awake to the suffering of the world, to the challenges of this time of transition, and the opportunity to grow into a new relationship with one another, a new relationship with the universe? And if we want to grow into that, we can do so by, by embracing a choice of simplicity. Uh, so that's important. Another choice is communication. Uh, We spoke about that uh, earlier, that um, we own the airwaves. It's ours in in the United States. Uh, We own the airwaves literally, legally. Most people do not realize this. They think television companies own them. No, they do not. We do. So uh, if we wanted, we could have a revolution in communications. And uh, that, in turn, would utterly transform uh how we look at every part of the lives that we have and guide us into a more promising uh sustainable uh future so um, there there's area after area of um of promise let's see let me take a quick peek uh choosing maturity is another one uh to grow up you know to grow up there's choice there uh, if we just drift along in our adolescence, there's no, uh, directionality towards maturity. It's just drift. Uh, so if we're going to move into our, into our maturity as a human family, we need to choose it. But if we begin choosing it, uh, and saying personally and professionally and politically and socially and so on, we choose maturation. We choose the well-being uh, of all life, as opposed uh over my own personal uh gain, if you will uh that
0: w- that would be no, you know one. one i would one I would add to yes you, is slowing down
1: slowing down because
0: you know uh hyperactivity is one of the first examples of trauma that we are we move fast mm-hmm. so we don't have to feel all the trauma that's both going on. Currently, but also the trauma from the past. So we, so slowing down contemplation, prayer, meditation to taking these things up. They're becoming more and more mainstream, but I think for all of the things you have in that list that I would just add that as a, as a key aspect of it. You got
1: it. I've just added it. i'm writing your book sorry thank you it's too late for the book but it's not too late for uh when i talk to people and uh hyperactivity as a as a way of avoiding uh the trauma of our times i think that is very true people well i'm really busy i just can't don't have time right now uh maybe in another week or two i'll have time to really look at the kind of considerations you raise, but right now I'm, I'm real busy. And, and people are competitive. I'm so busy. Oh, I'm so busy too.
0: And yeah. it's like, Well, I'm busier than you're busy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's
1: right. <laughs> so I, we're just busying ourselves uh, to death. Um, some of the other um, uh, themes that I brought up uh, were, were things like community. I, I'm living in what's called a co-housing community right now. There are Roughly sixty people living in thirty units as a as a constellation of uh sort of like apartments, if you will. Uh, but we also have a common gardens that we use for a significant amount of food. We have a common house where we get together for meals uh that we cook three days a week. Uh and if you are part of the community one day a week, uh or one day a month, you you have a responsibility to cook. And the rest of the time, other people are cooking. And three days a week, you get a, um, essentially a free meal. You just walk in. It's set out before you. It's a vegetarian meal. Uh, and, uh, and it's all taken care of. So, uh, co-housing, the food that we eat, uh, there's a place for kids, uh, to play. They have their own, uh, uh, way of getting apart from the uh, elders. There's a w- workshop for wood and metal. So, We can design our communities to be beyond these freestanding, stand-alone, isolated, single-family dwellings, where we are cut off from other people, we're cut off from life. Instead of that, we can be integrated with life, integrated with other people in ways that are fulfilling, uh, that don't impinge upon us unduly. Uh, It's a wonderful neighborhood, but it's not a, a commune, if you will. Um... And it's for adults. It's for more, more, for mature, uh, people. So there are so many ways, uh, that we can evolve, uh, what we're doing here. We can be, be more conscious for heaven's sakes. And well, what do you mean be more conscious? Well, it's simply, uh, moving, uh, to, towards a more reflective view to, to pause and say, well, look, let me kind of reflect on my life and, and what's happening here and just take a hard look in the mirror. And say, okay, um, I see this and that about my behaviors, about my life. And as a mature adult, I'm going to choose a different pattern of, of life and behaviors. So, uh, living more consciously would be, um, a key to a pathway to a greater maturity and transformation. So those are a few of uh, the, yeah. and there's, there's many more. I, I want to.
0: Since we're getting close to the end of our time here, I want to go back to the preface of your book. Yeah. Uh, uh, Francis Weller's, uh, beautiful introduction that he wrote and talk about grief. Yeah. We haven't really gotten into that. I felt it was more important to talk about it at the end of our talk, uh, our conversation than the beginning. Such an important part. And we don't know how to grieve. And there's so much to grieve. You know, yeah. So much. And that allows us to increase our capacity to hold the world. That's because right. If we're trying to hold that grief down and push it down and not be able to, you know, I'm starting to do more grief groups in my own work is to get people together to share about it so their grief can be heard and they know they're not alone. That's right. Really important at this time. You know, you can grieve the loss of a, a partner or a parent. Uh, or even rough a child, which is really hard. How do you grieve the loss of two hundred species a day from from extinct forever from the planet? That's How right do right. we grieve the the loss of ecosystems? And um, well, in uh, some of my classes, I I have a grief exercise to practice for forty days, every day, to get down on your hands and knees and actually. Bring in whatever it is that needs to be grieved, and it's an incredibly freeing uh, process to to uh, cleanse, but also again, our capacity is is at the issue when you look at when you look at um stress, you know, and you say something like, "I'm stressed." well, what does that mean when I say that? It's like saying, "I'm sick. Well, do you have you know a cold?" Covid or leprosy or cancer. What do you you know? What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. And the same with the word stress. And we're under huge amount of stress, and people can feel it now, but they don't really look at well. What is stress? Stress is that something is too much for my current capacity to deal with. It's too overwhelming to deal with. So when you look at that definition, my current capacity is the key word there. How do I expand my capacity? I expand my capacity by learning to grieve the things, to to right. be able to move through them and grieve them. And that literally creates inner spaciousness so that life can more fully move through us. And I think that's really an important thing that, that um, Francis Weller was talking about that you address. And I, I just think it's so important that, as Joanna Macy says, and you quoted her in your book, dear Joanna, see, you know, that grief allows our heart to break open, and if our heart is break open, then we can feel the world and allow ourselves to act in accordance with what's actually happening, rather than what we'd like to happen, or some ideal future that we keep trying to live into, which keeps us from being in the present. Yes. Thoughts about that?
1: Beautifully said. One thing that uh, Francis uh, has said <clears> that I think really strikes home in, in this conversation is that if we don't learn how to grieve, we translate those traumas and uh, those stresses into grievance. And uh, the alternative to deep for, for grief that that can, where we have the capacity to receive that and learn from it, grow from that, uh, if that is shut down, if it's not allowed, well then what emerges is not grief, but grievance. And we are in a society right now of profound, just grievances everywhere. People are upset. They don't like what's going on and they're, and they're very willing to express their grievance with it. Oftentimes, Suggesting it's somewhere out there that needs to change, not something in here. And with grief, what, what comes up is, is both. It's both the outer and the inner. Both have to evolve to create a condition of healing and health and wholeness. And, um, so learning to move beyond grievance and into the, uh, the authenticity of grief. Is, uh, fundamental to our maturation as a species and the transformation of our, of our living on this earth.
0: Absolutely. So well said. Dwayne Elgin, my friend. Mm-hmm. So good to be with you. We need to do more of these. Let's and, do. Uh, I just want to tell people, duaneelgin.com or choosingearth.org are the ways to reach Dwayne. And, uh, just much gratitude and appreciation for your tireless work, my friend. Thank
1: you, Michael. Good to be here. We Earth
0: Radio is an independently produced program supported by listeners like you. We are committed to bringing you leading-edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution, or listen to any of our past shows, go to our website, welloflight.com. Thank you so much for your commitment to a world that works for all life.